The Church Media Podcast, episode number 70. Think digital with Justin Wise. Let's do it. Hey there. Welcome to the Church Media Podcast. The definitive podcast for helping you create dynamic experiences and build solid media production teams in your church. We're bringing you knowledge and insight from top media professionals from around the world. Useful, practical content in the areas of live production, design, leadership, digital communications, and more. Show notes for this episode and all archive episodes of the show are available online now. Go to 1230media.com/podcast. And now, broadcasting from the ministry headquarters of 1230 Media, here's your host, Church Media Coach Carl Barnhill. Hey guys, I'm Carl. Thank you so much for listening. As you listen to the show each and every week, remember you can pick up tons of free stuff on our blog at 1230media.com. We give away tons of free resources to pass along to your volunteers including tips and tricks in the areas of audio, video, lighting, stage design, your volunteer culture, and more. We have a host of church media pros that write articles, share insights and interviews, and more. Tons of free stuff for your church media ministry at 1230media.com forward slash blog. We'll get you there directly. On today's episode of the show, I welcome Justin Wise from Think Digital. I've known Justin for a few years as he's spoken and taught at conferences and other events. Justin is a digital communications expert. If you want to grow your digital platform at your church, social media, your website, your digital strategy, this is the guy to listen to. We chatted about digital marketing, social media apps and platforms, rules for social media, the 80-20 principle when it comes to posting content online, and more. Get ready. My interview with Justin is coming right up. And now, your church media resource of the week. Software, websites, gadgets, and tools that will resource your creativity and your ministry. Well, hey there, this is Brady Shearer from ProChurchTools.com, and today I want to share with you a resource called Mixpanel. Mixpanel is a tremendous analytics resource for your website. Think of it as Google Analytics, but one step up. And what's so great about Mixpanel is that you just install a single piece of code, and then what that code does is track every single page view, event, every single thing on your website. What's very cool is that it has this auto track feature. Back in the day with analytics tools, you'd have to define every single event that you wanted to track. But now with this mix panel code, all you have to do is install it a singular piece of code. It will track every button click, every scroll, every single event on your web page, not just page views. And that's really the key distinguishing factor between Google Analytics and Mixpanel. So we've been using it to track how many people are clicking on this button and then going to this page. You can, of course, uh, you know, designate where these people are coming from in the first place. And there are so many advanced things that you can do. What's especially cool is that the moment that you install the code on your site, every single thing will be tracked forever. Meaning, if you don't go and define an event, let's say 12 months later, you want to figure out how many people are clicking on the first button on your homepage. What happens is you already will have 12 months of data because you installed that single piece of code 12 months ago. So even though you haven't been defining that event for the whole time, that code is all still there. You can go backwards in time, which is incredibly revolutionary in the analytics space. So mixpanel.com is where you can find that. You can get up to 25,000 data points every single month for free. We uh, recently installed it on our site, prochurchtools.com, and it has been so helpful. So go check it out, spend some time researching, see if it might be a good fit for you, mixpanel.com. This is Brady Shearer from prochurchtools.com. Thanks for listening. For more free resources for your team, visit 1230media.com slash training. This is an exclusive interview from 1230 Media and Carl Barnhill. Get shareable content and free resources for your team at 1230media.com slash podcast. Here's Carl now. Hey guys, today I welcome Justin Wise. He is one of the best. Justin is the founder of Think Digital, a digital communications company. His work has been featured in the Huffington Post, Social Media Examiner, Business Record, and the list goes on. His company has helped some of the biggest names in the Christian space, including Compassion International, HarperCollins, and Tyndall House. He's a sought-after speaker and a rising entrepreneur in the digital space. Justin, welcome, buddy. Thanks so much for coming on. 
Yeah, my pleasure. And I have to tell you, I didn't even know. Uh, I totally forgot about the Huffington Post piece. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, uh, tell tell us a little bit about yourself. You're from Iowa, right? I am from Iowa. Yes, the great state of Iowa. Nice. Tell me a little but, bit about uh, you and your family. Well, yeah, we we live here, uh, and I always tell folks we live here by choice uh, because sometimes that sounds like you know people will think, well, you've been banished to uh, <laughs> you know. To, to Iowa to suffer through your days. But we live here. We love it here. Um, I have uh, three kids. My oldest is Finn. My youngest is Sam. And Evie is in the middle. My wife and I uh, have been married for just over 10 years. And uh, we actually met at the church that I used to work at, Lutheran Church of Hope, which is the uh, country's actually largest Lutheran church. It's a Lutheran megachurch, if you can believe that. And so a lot of Lutherans uh, bumping into each other, eating lutefisk and all that fun stuff. Uh-huh. So we met there um, and, uh, you know, have been married for a, the better part of a decade and, and absolutely loving life. Now, get us started. Tell me about uh, Think Digital, how you got started, uh, how the company started, things like that. So Think Digital actually is, um, I would say it is my, I want to say third business, perhaps, maybe fourth, depending on um, which what you would classify as a business. So just to kind of give you a quick background, my whole life, and I didn't realize this until, oh, I would say probably about five years ago, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, and it took me, you know, uh, some time to figure it out, uh, mainly because I could not stand working for other people. <laughs> and some folks, you know, uh, they figure out they're they're an entrepreneur because they just really love the freedom or the flexibility, or they want you know unlimited ceiling in terms of their income. For me, it was man, I like these people, I like this job, but I can't stand it, and I didn't know why. And the reason was because I had a vision, an idea of how I wanted the world to go and what I wanted to do. And and so the only way to really achieve that was by starting my own business. So um, I had a, a house painting business in high school and college, uh, which allowed me the freedom and flexibility to only have to work during the summer. And then I could pretty much do what I, as I pleased throughout the rest of the year. Um, and then started a T-shirt business. Uh, where I designed and printed T-shirts myself and went to different conferences and and events and, and concerts and sold these T-shirts. Um, and then uh, graduated college and worked, um, started working at Hope, at Lutheran Church of Hope, and really enjoyed the people I was working with. For the most part, I enjoyed the work, but there was just this nagging sense of, uh, you know, just wanting to do something different and uh, worked there for almost seven years and really took what I learned at Hope and used those foundational elements, primarily being a self-starter, working with people, uh, you know, starting something from nothing. Because what I did at Hope was basically got us online um, and started our online campus there, got us on social media and all that fun stuff. And that really, there was no blueprint for it. There was no, uh, you know, roadmap. I just had to come up with it and do it. So those things combined uh, led me to say, man, I think I can give this a go. I wasn't quite ready to take the training wheels off, so I worked for an, an amazing organization, contracted with, with them for two years. They're out of San Diego, a, a business called Monk Development. Learned a ton there from Drew, who's the CEO, and then finally, about two years into the contracting with them, I said, hey, guys, I think I want to try this on my own. They gave me their full blessing, and, and, and Think Digital was born. And so really what we do now is work with organizations, big and small, to understand what their objectives are as, from a business perspective. And even if you're a nonprofit, even if you're a church, you do have business objectives. Maybe you wouldn't call it that, but there are objectives that you need to accomplish and meet. And so we come alongside and help people meet those uh, through digital, through done for you digital marketing. 
That's the abbreviated version. I hope that was succinct enough. Yeah. Now, tell me what the day-to-day looks like. Who are you uh, working with? What do you do on a daily basis? So today, uh, you know, from before this call, we met together as a team, and we walked through our client list and where we literally go through every single client and we say, what's working well? Where are the roadblocks? How is the relational health? What are the results like? What are the opportunities? And what are the follow-up points? So we did that this morning. Um, and this afternoon, of course, you and I are speaking here. And then I'll go do some kind of administrative nuts and bolts work. Um, practically speaking, that looks like i got to write an email for a client. And um, I'm also meeting with a team member to hash out a process for our business. And uh, so for me now, you know, we've got four full-time people, two part-time people. Um, So really I feel like my job now is shifting from doing to uh, overseeing, leading, and growing the business. So it used to be, you know, even 18 months ago, um, even 18 months ago I was, you know, what I call pushing the buttons and pulling the levers. I was doing the work. But as our business has kind of scaled and grown, there's added complexities, and it's far outpaced my ability to to be an operator, to be a button pusher or a, a lever puller. And I don't say that, you know, I say that with great respect because it takes a lot of skill and know-how to really do the, the level of marketing that I think that I want to produce and that we are producing for clients, and it's far outpaced my ability to actually execute. But what I can do is see the big picture. And so a lot of my day-to-day activities are meeting with strategic partners, um, going to events, what, I, what, I, what my first business coach ever, Ben Arment, called getting on the plane and having coffee with people. That is, in its simplest form, what my day-to-day looks like, and occasionally stepping into the business and executing when we need help, when a team member needs, you know, um, some some guidance or some some we'll tag team a project, uh, something along those lines. But really, um, my time has shifted more into a kind of thirty thousand foot view, seeing things from the large perspective, and then aligning our resources, both in re- you know, in just financial resources and people resources thought resources, energy resources, aligning those resources to accomplish our goals as a business. Now, you guys specialize in, uh, you call it done-for-you marketing. Uh, what is a digital marketing system? Explain that. This has taken a while to really land because um, it's been, mostly been through trial and error. So what I mean by that is, like, I thought that the value of our business when I first started was like coming alongside a business and saying, hey, this is what you guys should be doing and making these nice, neat little plans and giving them the plans and and then, you know, it, it kind of having this, I think, unreal expectation that people would actually do the plans. <laughs> what I found was that the reason why they were calling, the reason why they asked for help, the reason why they said, hey, uh, Justin, can you help us? Wasn't because they didn't know what to do. They knew exactly what to do, but they didn't have the time, the capacity, the desire, the energy, the resources to execute. So for us, that's where the term done for you comes from. We didn't come up for that term. In fact, I heard it from uh, my coach, Casey Graham. They use it in a different context back when he was CEO of, of um, a rocket company. But I liked that term enough to say, well, there's done for you. They do done for you resources, but we do done for you digital marketing. So, practically speaking, you know, with the clients, we're the ones creating the content. Let's say for their social media, uh, their social media network. So we're creating the content, we're uploading it, we're scheduling it, we're managing it, we're building editorial calendars for them, we're responding and engaging with their audience which more and more is becoming so important in the life of a business or an organization, you know, and when I say that, I mean nonprofit, not-for-profit, for-profit, anywhere in between. Engagement is becoming so important, but it does consume a lot of time. 
And I love what Gary Vaynerchuk says. He said, you can't automate the human spirit, which means, practically speaking, you can't buffer engagement. Of course, you know, everybody loves Buffer and, or Hootsuite or Sprout Social or whatever you use to schedule content, but you can't schedule engagement. You just can't do it. So we come alongside businesses and actually do the engagement for them. Um, and we've also branched out into ad buys and ad campaigns, so Facebook ads, targeted display, PPC, uh, where we're creating the, the, you know, the campaigns and implementing those and doing the ad spend. Um, so, I mean, on the nuts and bolts level, when I say done for you, it's basically done for you content and done for you ads. That's a little bit of kind of what it looks like when we do work with a client, uh, what we're doing for them on a day-to-day basis. So who's it for? Who is this uh, the digital marketing system for? You know, I, I wish I could sit here and tell you that it only works for a specific subset. So, you know, I, what we're finding, though, is that there's just a need across all industries. So it, now, now I will say there are some budget issues usually, or not issues maybe, but challenges. So the level at which we execute requires, you know, an organization to have about anywhere between two hundred fifty and five hundred thousand dollars at least in annual revenue, and that revenue, you know, you can it can come from from product, uh, it can come from sales, it can come from donations, but the level at which at which we execute, meaning it's custom for our clients, it's not. You know, there's some services out there, and, and they work for some people. This is just not how we choose to operate, where, you know, you essentially subscribe to content, where you subscribe, and um, you're getting content that you can see to your channels, but, you know, you're getting it, but so are, you know, dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of other organizations across the country and the planet. So it's not unique. It's not specific to your your organization is more of an industry thing. And some people are okay with that, but we find that our clients prefer to have a custom, you know, custom content created for them. And not only that, but the engagement piece, uh, which I was mentioning earlier, where we're actually responding on behalf of our clients. That's really hard to get in a kind of, you know, $47, $97 a month subscription content package. So um, having said all that, what we find works really well is organizations, and we work with nonprofits, we work with for-profits, but folks typically that have, you know, they, they're used to terms like marketing budget. They're used to, they're, they're familiar with social media. They have social channels. They're, they're somewhat active or they have a desire to be active. Um, and they also see the connection between social and responding to people and, having a healthier, uh, more engaged audience. And what we know to be true is engaged people either buy more or donate more, period. It's not a question. It's not a, you know, there's no, the verdict is not out. The jury is not still deliberating. If you have an engaged audience, they will do what you ask them to do, period. And we've, we see that value um, so organizations that see that same value, it's not necessarily like, hey, I'm going to paint a picture for you of our typical client in terms of the demographics, but they have the same values, some of which I've already mentioned. And, and primarily it revolves around, hey, we value social. We value talking to our clients or our customers or our constituents. We value their feedback. We want to take care of them. We want to make their lives better. Um, so, that's kind of what our typical client will look like. Now, what, what, what they appear to be on the outside can be, you know, vast and varied, but internally that's kind of the, the model that we see. All right, so let's talk some tips and tricks for social media in church world. Uh, what are your top five apps that you guys use for social media success? Um. The first app. Now, I, can I do tips? Can I do like like hacks or tricks, or do they all have to be apps? You can do both. <laughs> okay, either one. Because like, well, here here's why I asked that question. What we're finding is that 
in our agency, the more we the more we rely on third party applications to either publish content or even analyze content, the analyzing uh, the results piece is kind of it's still murky. But what we can see very clearly is that the more we use like let's say third party platforms to publish content, for instance. So practically speaking, if we're using a, a Sprout Social or a Hootsuite. Um, to push content to client channels, what we're actually seeing is that content doesn't do nearly as well as if we would use na- the native publishing platform itself. So instead of you, you know publishing to Facebook through Sprout Social, we're switching everyone to just using actual Facebook and publishing directly from Facebook because what we know to be true is that, and, and I don't know if Facebook has out and out said this, but there's enough rumblings, at least in our world, where not only does our anecdotal evidence tell us this is true, but the industry leaders are saying this as well. If you publish something, it doesn't perform as well. The organic reach isn't as high. And, new, and Facebook is sending a message that says, hey, use our platform in the way that we design it to be used. And they're doing that because they want to control the customer experience. It's not because they're evil. You know, I, I really push back when folks say, well, Facebook is just, they just want to make money. Well, yeah, <laughs> they do. They're a business. They're, that's the whole point. That's the whole purpose of a business is to make money. And they've created a, an efficient, a, a powerful, a virtually free-to-use platform for everyone on the planet to use and they have every right to charge for that. So the point I'm getting at is one tip is if you're publishing and using third-party apps, switch to primarily Facebook. We're experimenting a little bit with Twitter, although I don't think Twitter is waiting. You know, they don't have the algorithm rolled out yet where, you know, basically they're filtering um, and, and prioritizing in the same way that Facebook and now Instagram does. So using the native platforms to publish is a must for us now. Uh, it's it certainly it's not as efficient. Uh, it takes more time, but the results are better. So for folks out there, I would highly recommend, certainly for Facebook, using the face the Facebook platform to public to, to publish content to Facebook. Facebook rewards that. It's not that they penalize you if you use a third party. But they reward you in the news feed, meaning you'll show up in people's news feeds, uh, you know, more often than, let's say, another, you know, person or page that's seeking that same bit of attention. You'll show up higher if you use their platform. So that's one, you know, really, uh, I think, glaring, obvious tip that everyone can use immediately. Um, the other the, and I, I wish these were sexier. I, like, I wish these were like some hidden secret that we have found. But there's really, th- this has all just come through getting our hands dirty and getting into the guts of social and figuring out what works. Because like my next tip is engage with people. <laughs> and, you know, I, we've touched on this a little bit, but there for us, there's no substitute for responding to comments or replying to tweets or, you know, retweeting your customers or clients or constituents or, you know, responding to messages that show up in your Facebook inbox or Instagram inbox or, you know, tagging um, like one idea that would work really well for churches is, you know, find out the folks in your congregation, they, 99% of them do other stuff than work in a church, meaning they have businesses, they have outside lives. So like finding the businesses uh, of the, of the people in your congregation and finding a way to write a post just about that business. So Joe Schmo in our congregation runs XYZ business. Um, let's say it's a donut shop. I'm big on donuts right now. My man Josh Burns has me like thinking about donuts all the time. Uh, so let's say Joe Schmo runs a donut shop. Hey, church family, everyone, go to Joe Schmo's donut shop and you know show him some love this week. I mean that kind of stuff. That doesn't cost money, but what it does, it's going to make a, a, a 
a permanent impression in Joe Schmo's life to say, man, my church cares about me, not just you know, me as a spiritual being, as a, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, but they care about me as a person. Like, they want my business to do better because of that. Um, and that just comes through engagement. It takes time. It takes energy. It's inefficient. Uh, it's not like, I mean, it takes work, but it pays results. It pays dividends on down the line. Because ultimately, what we're talking about there is investing in relationships, Okay, and that is at the heart of social. It's not these. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if I want to open this can of worms. It's not like people will ask, "What's the perfect time to tweet?" or "What's the perfect length of a tweet?" or a "Perfect length of a Facebook post?" or this or that or whatever. None of that stuff matters. Like it really doesn't matter at all. What matters is you dive into social with the idea in mind that. There are people on the other end of this, and I'm going to care about these people. And as a byproduct of that caring, you know, results will follow. And whatever those results look like, whether you're a business or a nonprofit, you still look for results. And the results will come as a byproduct of investing in those relationships. Investing in those relationships takes time. And that time is most often expressed through engagement on your social media channels. Um, so that's another, I guess, I guess you could say that's a tip, but people want to make it something like something that it's not, it's not about, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's not about perfect this or perfect that. Now let's make it super practical because people always push back on me and they'll say, well, yeah, but how do I actually, you know, go and do that? So what I'll tell folks is like, you don't have to start. And this is how I started at Hope where I started to see the power of engagement, where I would literally set an egg timer on my desk for five minutes. Because some days that's all I had was literally five minutes. I'm not talking about, oh, yeah, I have five minutes and you have five hours. I'm talking about a literal five minutes where I would set a timer and I would go through and do as much engagement on our channels as possible in five minutes. And you're, I'm, I was shocked at how far I could get and how much I could get done with five minutes. So for a practical tip, Go buy an egg timer or download uh, an app called the Pomodoro app. Pomodoro method is one of my favorite uh, productivity methods out there. It's 25 minutes on, five minutes off, and you repeat that process throughout the day. Set a timer for five minutes and go to town. Engage with as many people as possible and then move on. And you'll start to see results if you do that. So I don't know if that quite answered the question, but um, it's not as clean cut. It's it's gritty, it's dirty, it's gnarly. It's just getting in there and responding to people, period. Yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of people try to ask a million questions or try to make it about bells and whistles when social is just, it's relational, it's organic, it's, uh, yeah, down and dirty and it takes work and just like a real relationship would. Uh, so, yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, it's hard. Hey, yeah. this is what I'll say too. It's it's really hard. Like, this, if I if there's one common misconception that we'll see in, with clients, it's that almost everyone, even the ones who are savvy and social social media savvy, they have an awareness of it, they know how it works. Everybody underestimates how long it takes to see the results that folks desire and should desire. By the way, but it takes time because, as you mentioned. Relationships take time. You know, I did not propose to carry my wife after our first date. There are some instances on this planet where that may occur, and it, I'm sure it turns out well for some people out there. But for the majority of folks, there's a, a time where you date. Uh, there's a time where you're engaged, and then you're married. So another way of saying that is there's a process to the relationship that's predictable, um, we call that know, like, trust, and build. Um, first, you have to get to know people. Then they have to get to like you. Then they trust you, and then they build. In other words, then they convert. So they convert from to, from non-member to, mo to member, from non-client to client, from prospect to customer, whatever. Know, like, trust, and build. It's a very simple process, but virtually all relationships on the planet follow it. 
Talk to me about uh, social network privacy. Why is this important for ministries in particular? Um, I wish... So I'm going to take the angle of uh, one of my favorite authors and thinkers on this space, uh, a guy named Clay Shirky. Clay... um, Clay basically says there's no such thing as privacy anymore, and he's right. There, there's just no, there's no realistic expectation of privacy. And we can, we can, um, uh, we, we can fight against that, we can rail against it, we can wish it's not, that was not the case. But unfortunately, it is the case. And so what he does, and I think this approach is a good approach, I think it's good, especially for ministries and churches, is to basically, like, if you're in the espionage or the intelligence community in, let's just say, in the United States, all of those people, when they communicate online, they are communicating under the assumption that they have already been hacked. So when they do anything. This, by the way, and this is not a political statement, but this, by the way, is why Hillary Clinton set up her own servers. This right here. Because to use any sort of government server or process or online anything, they all approach it from the perspective of, this has already been compromised. And the lesson, I think, is important where we need to approach our online lives. Now, those of us listening to this aren't the U.S. government, and most of us do not have information, you know, in our online kind of, uh, you know, ecosystem that anyone would find remotely interesting. But I think it's important to address the situation as it is and not how, how we want it to be. So when we talk about privacy, I think it's, it's wisdom, it's smart to go into the situation assuming that, you know, this data – this information, this email, this tweet, this whatever, this direct message could and at some point will likely see the light of day. Now, to some folks, that's terrifying. And it should be <laughs> because I say it's important for ministries and churches. Uh, I was challenged by a guy named David Householder, a uh, really smart, sharp thinker, um, and he said in ministries, you know, we should approach it as if we have nothing to hide, because if we're going into it with this unrealistic expectation of privacy, then we have to ask the question, what are we so worried about people understanding and knowing? Now, I will often push a point farther than I actually believe. So I do think it's smart to, let's say, for instance, there's a lot of platforms out there that have two-step authentication on their platforms, meaning like Dropbox does this, Google um, Apps and Gmail does this, LastPass, which is a password manager, does this, Slack does this. There's a lot of these platforms now that have two-step authentication, which essentially says you're going to have a password, and then we're going to put another barrier, another buffer in place that uh, you have to go through. So even if people do know your password, we're going to send, let's say, a six-digit code to your um to your, to your cell phone, and you have to put that six-digit code on the next login screen to get access to maybe it's your, you know, your Gmail, for instance. That, I think, is really smart um, because that, you know, if it pushes it to your device especially, it's not foolproof, but what it does do is it sets up a, an extra layer of security that it, it's twofold. Number one, it makes it really hard to, even if people do get your password, it makes it really hard to get past that um, second barrier. And number two, I've used it actually in a couple instances where, you know, our, a, a password of ours or a client's has been compromised. And when it sends the two-step authentication to my phone or whatever, then I'm aware, oh, hey, someone's, or someone or some bot or some hacker somewhere is trying to get in. I better go in and change my password. So it's, it's a both and. It's, you know, your data at some point or another is likely going to be compromised. And, you know, the, the good example of this, I don't remember what store it was, 
or or maybe it was an online app, but it might have been Dropbox actually. Only recently, it was either Dropbox or Target. Although I don't think it was Target. At any at any rate, an all, a large online platform. They basically just found out that there has been a hack in their system for the past four years, and they just found it. So so imagine having that conversation like. Hey guys, um, we just found out that all of our members' data and passwords and sensitive information, some group somewhere has had access to it for the past four years, and we didn't even know about it. Can you imagine writing that email? Like, oh, oh hey guys, just an FYI, you may want to change your password. So it's that kind of stuff. And that, by the way, that's happening on on all the platforms that we all have stuff stored on, that we're all sending messages on, that we all use every single day, the amount of attacks happening on these platforms would blow your mind. But it's not reality to assume that we can't use these platforms. That's not reality. So going into it with a little bit of wisdom, you know, being wise as serpents, innocent as doves, and saying, how am I going to approach my online life different under the assumption, just like the U.S. government, everything's already been compromised anyway? Will that change the emails I send? Will that change the direct messages that I send? Will that change the text messages that I send? Will that change the stuff I post on Facebook? And, of course, the answer is yes. So going into it with that understanding, but also putting you know, safeguards in place like the two-step authentication, or, like, I don't know how people are not using um, password managers. There's some great ones out there. We've used all of them. The one that we choose to use is LastPass. It's a very secure uh, way to store your passwords online, um, and it makes it very easy where you don't stick it in, let's say, an Excel spreadsheet or even worse on a Google Doc um, or in, you know, some sort of cloud service. Like the worst place you could put your passwords uh, is, you know, in a, a Word document or an Excel spreadsheet somewhere because it's just begging to be, you know, absorbed by a bad guy. And then, then where are you? You're totally hosed. Yeah. So those are, those are, it's like theory and, and some practical aspects of it. So hopefully that helps. <laughs> yeah. Um, now you have a long list of social media rules. I was uh, reading this uh, this post that you wrote. Give me a few highlights, some really good uh, insight here. Give me a few of those uh, highlights, if you would. Sorry, that cut out. Can you say that one more time? I said uh, I was reading a post that you wrote recently on social media rules. Give me a few oh, highlights yeah. of those. Um, so the first rule is never listen to someone who calls him or herself a, uh, a social media guru. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is the, uh, the, the, the self-professed social media guru title. Because it, for me, it automatically conjures up pictures of somebody who's used, who has used social media once or twice. They see the trend and now... They want to be an authority and they want to be a guru. So steer clear. Uh, find people who are doing what it is that you want to be doing on social and follow them. Watch them. Listen to them. I rarely, rarely, rarely will pay attention to anyone who calls themselves a social media expert or someone who positions themselves as a social media expert. Who I pay attention to are the folks who capture my attention. It's the businesses, the organizations. Who, who are using social in a way that I find appealing that we can in turn utilize for ourselves but also for clients. So don't listen to somebody who calls him or herself a guru. Um, let's see, content, oh, this is a good one. Content, I have the post pulled up here so I wouldn't forget. Content is a commodity. This is so huge. Content has now become a commodity, meaning it can be brokered, it can be bought and sold, you can, be, you can barter, you can um, negotiate on content. 
Uh, it's almost like a natural resource. And what that means is that it's everywhere now. The, bar, the, 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 the barrier to entry for content is so low that good content, content that excels, uh, is a necessity to be noticed. So you can't just have content now. It used to be not only just a few years ago, if you just had content, then you could play in the game. But now you have to have good content just to, just to have an awareness, just to have a, a presence. And content that makes people's lives better, that helps them, that's the stuff that gets a seat at the table. So uh, content is a commodity. You have to have good content. And great content, by the way, is very, very rare. This one's big for churches uh, and ministries. Somewhere along the lines, churches and ministries started believing that, um, you know, they had to be on every single platform under the sun. <laughs> Meaning, like, we have to have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, Pinterest, Vine, Musical.ly, uh, you know, House, Churches on House, ridiculous. Housing, you know, House is a, is a social network for builders. Why do churches need to be on it? They don't. So somewhere they bought this lie that we have to be active on all these platforms. And what happens is they're a mile wide and an inch deep on those platforms, and they don't work. So what we tell folks is even when we start working with them, it, even, it benefits us as a business to push more channels on our clients, but we don't do it because they don't need it. What most people need, what most businesses, organizations, ministries, churches need is to really excel at two, maybe three channels. That's tops. And that is virtually 99% of the people listening to this right now. So pick a horse, get really good at it. When you nail the platform, then pick another one, go through the same process, and I think most people will be surprised at how far they can get with really nailing down two, three channels tops. Um, let me see. There's one more. Uh, this one's not one of my favorites. Facebook can do whatever it wants. Like I said earlier, people always want to um, dog on Facebook. But what they've really done is build one of the most effective, powerful, helpful, value-add platforms in the history of the human race. And there's really good people at Facebook who are really trying to make a great product for the rest of us. I've gotten to know a few of the folks who work there uh, on an exec level, and they're not, you know, they're really, they really are trying to make a great platform. Um, this is another big one. Going viral is not a social media strategy. It's actually not a strategy at all. It's a, it's a hope and a prayer. It's what we call the oh, no strategy, like, oh, no, we forgot to do something. So let's just throw something against the wall and hope it sticks. Well, the sticking in most people's eyes and minds is going viral. Going viral, and you can do – you can talk to – Find someone who's gone viral. It's not hard these days. And ask them how it helped them in the long run. And here's what they'll all tell you. They will all tell you this. It was a moment in the sun. It was my 15 minutes. And the smart ones capitalize on that and run with it. But that takes a lot of work. And most people just have the exposure and then it's gone. And it doesn't influence their lives or their businesses or their organizations in any way, shape, or form at all. Um, let's see how we get one more. Oh, have fun. This is a big one. Like social is supposed to be fun. It really is. Connecting with people, connecting with other human beings, building relationships, growing those relationships. It's supposed to be fun. And if you're not having fun, it's time to go back to the drawing board and ask, why aren't we having fun? Are we not being ourselves? Are we trying to be somebody else? Are we operating under rules that somebody else set for us? And if so, you know, chuck those things right out the window and start from square one. So make sure to have fun. Okay. All right. So a lot of churches that I encounter are, are curious uh, because they've 
They've uh, jumped into social. They've gotten on Twitter, on Facebook. They've really pushed it hard for you know a few months, but they're not seeing a, a quote unquote re- return on their investment um, yet. What what would you uh, say to someone like this that to to not just play the short game, but to play the long game in it? Um, you know re- the return on the investment question is one that always comes up and I think it should come up but in many ways I think folks are aiming for a target they, they think they're aiming for a target um, that's 50 yards in front of them when in actuality their their gun is pointed straight up in the air and they're just firing away indiscriminately so so there's a target that's for sure but and, and most folks believe that they're aiming at the target but in reality, they're not even close to the target. And I find that to be the case where folks will ask that question where they put in the energy, they'll put in the resources, they'll put in the time, and they give up. And so the, the, what they'll say is, well, social doesn't work, or digital doesn't work, or it's a waste of time, or it doesn't work for our industry, or it doesn't work here, or it doesn't work in this part of the country, or our people just aren't on social media, or nobody cares, or our content is boring, or we can't find anyone here that is interested in it, or whatever the excuse is. And that's all they are. They're just excuses. Um, when those things come up, you have to say, do we actually know what our target is? And most people, most organizations, and this is particularly true for churches, and I know this because I was in the seat for seven years, and we've worked with lots and lots of churches, and we've seen this time and time again. Most churches have zero idea on what their targets are. And maybe maybe they know, oh, hey, we're supposed to build our church, we're supposed to make disciples, and all that kind of stuff, which is great. But it is so vague and it's so broad and it's so wide that it could really be a, a target for virtually any other organization, any other church on the planet. That is really hard to wrap social around. And social, it's really hard for social to support, um, to, to support a, a, a fuzzy goal. So what we walk folks through and what we always advise is to say, great, you want to use social, maybe you haven't been seeing results, maybe it's an expectations thing, so maybe your timetable is way too short. And generally speaking, it's going to take anywhere from 6 to 18 months to start seeing the type of results that most folks are looking for. Six is if you already have a robust kind of active social media presence. Eighteen is if you're starting from scratch. Because what you can't do is send out a couple tweets and expect the young people to start showing up at your church. It just doesn't work that way. So it's always tracing it back and saying, what are we actually trying to accomplish, not just with social, not with social media, what are we trying to accomplish as an organization? What are our goals as a church? And that's where many churches just simply have not dug in and done the specifics of what those goals, what those objectives look like. So to put this in real crystallized terms, you know, how many new members does your church want this year? What do you want your giving per uh, attender to be at the end of this year? What's it now, and what, is it, what do you want it to look like at the end of the year? Um, how many of your people, what percentage of your people are involved in uh, ministry activities? How many, what percentage of your people are volunteering in some capacity? You know, um, baptisms. How many baptisms did you have? And some people are, like, totally offended that I would even suggest that. But here's the reality. The churches that don't do that, they will never be able to rally around a common goal together. They may say, well, our, you know, people will push back. Our goal is the goal of Jesus, to build his church. Awesome. I'm with you. Great. Let's do it. But what does that look like for you? How are you measuring it? Galileo said, in a sense, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, anything that can't be measured, find a way to measure it. And the same holds true. Like, if you don't know where you're going, how in the world are you going to lead people? And when you try and layer social on top of fuzzy goals, it is a disaster. 
It's a total disaster. It never works. But it's not social's fault. It's actually your fault. <laughs> it's your fault. It's like using. It's like getting mad at a shovel for not uh, digging the Grand Canyon faster. Well, it would be silly to blame a shovel for not being able to dig the Grand Canyon. That's happened over thousands upon thousands, maybe even millions of years. Uh, and blaming social for lack of results is, works the same way. Social is a tool that is placed in our hands. The tool can be blamed. It's how we use the tool. And if we don't like the results the tool is getting us, we need to ask ourselves, are we using these tools in the right way? All right, so explain the – you're big on the 80-20 principle. Explain that to me. Yeah, 80-20 says 20% of your activities are responsible for 80% of your results. Or another way of saying that is uh, 80% of your activities are a waste of time. So what, what we're always trying to figure out – and that, by the way, that, um, that principle – the Pareto principle works in virtually all areas of your life. So 20% of your members are going to volunteer for 80% of your activities, 20% of your offerings. Uh, I'm sorry, 80% of your offerings are going to come from 20% of your members. 80% of your people aren't going to volunteer for anything. Um, and you can go on and on and on. Uh, this is one of my favorites, 20%. Uh, 80% of the people in your town are going to use 20% of the roads. So, you know, you can use this and apply it in hundreds of thousands of different ways. So what we always like to ask is, what's the 80-20 here? You know, for us as a business in particular, there's 20% of, like, this drives me nuts. It drives me. Because I know 80% of the activities that we're doing to either serve clients or, you know, bring in new clients, 80% of those activities aren't generating results, at least not the type of a result that the 20% sweet spot is generating. So I'm on this mission to find that 20% in virtually everything I do. So even in my own house, you know, I spend 80% of my time in 20% of the house. Uh, in my bedroom where I'm sleeping and unconscious, in our living room, and down in my home office. That's where I spend 20% of my time. And if you did the square footage, you would see that's 20% of our house. So it really applies on all different aspects and areas of life. And the important part isn't to say, like, how do we change 80-20? In some cases, it may be 70-30, it may be 60-40, it may be 90-10. But 80-20 will always be there in some way, shape, or form. So the, the, the goal isn't to change 80-20. The goal is to always be adjusting. So when you find your 20%, you can eventually make that your 80%. So if I find a tactic, if I'm doing 10 things to, to sign clients, to bring in leads, um, there's going to be two of those things that work really, really well. So I'm going to double down on those two things. And then eventually more activity will follow. We'll do some more things, and we'll do the 80-20 again. Well, it may be that those two activities that worked really well, uh, you know, in the first kind of go round, now they're part of the 80%. And so those kind of go off into the sunset, and I focus on two new ones. The same is true for folks in how you build your church. Same is true for how you build a ministry. It's, it's true for your donors. It's true in all aspects of life. Um, it's probably even true in this conversation. Like, if you go back and listen to this conversation, if you were to transcribe it and run it through like a word cloud, I bet you would see... Like, most of the conversation has centered around relationships and engagement. So it's true in all aspects of life. That's kind of a brief overview of, of 80-20 and how we use it. That's very cool. Now, a last big question for you is you wrote a book called The Social Church. Uh, tell me why you write that. What inspired you to write it? What's it about? The Social Church was written as a why-to book, not a how-to book. When I say why, I mean why should churches care about social media? And I approach it from a theological perspective because I tell my wife I, have, I had to get good use out of my, uh, my MDiv after I quit the church. So uh, it, was, it was a very kind of cathartic uh, experience for me, mainly because what I wasn't seeing in the market 
was someone who was addressing the questions for the church, not on a practical level. Listen, there's more practical content out there for churches on how to do this, how to do that, how to use Facebook for churches, blah, 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 blah. That's not bad. But it's, it's, it's the wrong thing to lead with. The right thing to lead with, the more effective thing to lead with, is the strategy, is the why. Asking the question, why are we doing this? Why should the church care? Why does every single church need to have an awareness and a desire to be active on social media? Which is my assertion and my conclusion and my conviction. So the social church answers that question through the lens of theology, through the lens of, you know, Scripture, and just looking at Christendom as a whole. So I so as a lifelong Lutheran, I, I use kind of the, you know, the the Reformation that was, I would argue, that was started by Martin Luther and primarily leveraging the Gutenberg printing press, kind of started, sparked the Reformation. And I make the analogy that, you know, the, the impact that made, uh, you know, in the early church or the, the medieval church, I guess you could say, is going to pale in comparison to what social, the impact that, as we look through the lens of history, the impact that social will have on the church, you know, will be so much greater. It will be exponentially greater than what we saw coming from Luther and the printing press. So that's what the book talks about uh, in more in depth. Um, and I try to make it real, uh, make the argument very clear of why churches need to be involved and in asking the questions and have uh, an answer when it comes to social. Well, man, I, uh, t- tell us how, how we can get it and how we can follow you, keep up with you guys. Yeah, um, probably the best way to, to contact me personally is on Twitter. I love tweeting. I love talking back to people. Um, so tweet me at Justin Wise. Um, and then for us, uh, if you want to see what we're doing with Think Digital, just go to thinkdigital.co, thinkdigital.co, and uh, you can see some of the folks we've worked with and, and uh, get, get an idea of what our team looks like. And, of course, anyone listening, we'd love to work with you. So you can check out more of our stuff there. Um, but anyway, uh, that's, if you want to talk to me, just tweet me, and I'll probably tweet back. Awesome. Well, man, thank you so much for your insight and for your time today. You bet. My pleasure. The world runs on relationships. From the beginning of time, we've shared with each other who we are and where we come from. As tribal cultures, we sat around campfires, sharing the stories that were most important to us, documenting them on walls of caves, lengths of scrolls, and leaves of papyrus. The advent of the printing press let us share our stories with people very different from us, allowing it to travel further than they ever had before. The emergence of radio and television gave us the ability to connect untold amounts of people to a common message. We are hardwired for communication, to share, to build, to connect. We cannot help ourselves. It is at the heart of humanity, the core of who we are. But we live in a time different than any other in history. We sense it when we connect with our friends and family. We sense it as we watch oppressive governments topple, and we hear about it from a place other than the news. Things aren't just changing, they have already changed. We can connect to more people than ever before. The digital world has ushered in an era that many of us are still trying to grasp and understand. Someone wise once said that gospel is transmitted along relational lines. Much like in the days of Martin Luther and the printing press, digital communication allows us to build relational lines like never before. We must grasp what an embodied gospel looks like in a digital world. We must adapt our methods without changing the message. World has changed. Action is required. The question stands, what will the church do next? Hey guys, Justin Wise's book, The Social Church, A Theology of Digital Communication, can be found online at Amazon or at socialchurchbook.com. 
As we wrap things up this week, remember you can get tons of free stuff on the show notes page for this episode at 1230media.com forward slash 070 as in episode number 70. And you can follow Justin Wise at thinkdigital.co. On the next Church Media Podcast. Special treat for you next week as I welcome Cole Neesmith to the podcast. Cole has a long resume of talents artist, musician, actor, pastor, and others. He currently serves at City Beautiful Church in Orlando and is also the executive director of the Creative City Project, an annual arts event in downtown Orlando. He is a regular contributor to Salt Conference, Relevant Magazine, Catalyst, and more. I talked to Cole about how to create immersive environments at your church. Your mind is going to be blown with the ideas that Cole shares with us. Check that out next Monday on the show. My special thanks to the master, David Michael Hyde, for his producing skills. You can find David composing music for film and digital media and saving the world at davidmichaelhyde.com. Thanks for listening this week. Go out there, guys, and create some incredible experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Church Media Podcast. Please take a minute today to rate and review the show in iTunes. For show notes, transcripts, and more free church media resources for your team, visit 1230media.com. We'll catch you right here next week for another episode of the Church Media Podcast.